0: Good morning. Um, I am Scott. I'm the site pastor of this site as a marker. Some of you may not know that because I've been on. Uh paternity leave for the last few weeks so if you joined us over the Christmas period and you're like who's this guy standing in front I'm actually the pastor here I've just been like hiding for the last like four or five weeks while I deal with him um, having a, a new child in the world which is a wonderful and dreadful experience all at the same time <laughs> is what I'm learning so uh, you are uh, watching a man before you um, hanging on by a thread sometimes but doing quite well other times this morning so um, if there's grace for that that'd be great and um, today we are finishing up uh, in our series on in 1 Corinthians, some of you will be glad to hear that, some of you will be sad to hear that, and we've been in 1 Corinthians for the last uh, 4 or 5 months now I think. And we've just been going through that book, um, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just making sure that we don't miss anything really good in there. Um, Our tendency sometimes when we read the Bible is to rush through, tick the box, say that we've read it, and move on to the next book so that we can just uh, sort of claim it as a book that we've read. But we are wanting to be really intentional about saying, God, what are you saying in this letter? When Paul wrote that letter to the Corinthians, what is in that letter that's relevant for us today? Uh, And Today we hit the final chapter, chapter 16, um, and it's Paul's kind of roundup of what he's been saying so far um, and a bit of an encouragement for the church. And the main theme that comes out of this passage for me is that Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to take responsibility for a few things. Not to uh, sit around waiting for other people to do things for them, but to take responsibility for a few different things that he talks about. So we're going to read through uh, that passage uh, just now. If anyone needs a Bible, um, you can pop your hand up just now and one will magically make its way to you along the rows. Um, We've got some spare Bibles. If you don't have a Bible at home... Uh, We would love you to just take that home with you today. That is now your Bible. Um, You can write um, to yourself from God in the front page. That's the official um, sign that it's your Bible um, when you're five and also through the rest of your life as well. Um, But please take that with you, um, and we'd love you to take that as a gift this morning. (laughs) anyone else dying anyone else really struggling this morning like well done for making it anyway okay we're going to read we're going to read through that together it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16 um, and uh, we'll we'll read from verse 1 all the way through now sorry (laughs) about the collection for the Lord's people do what I told the Galatian churches to do On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to go with you, with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go uh, now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, could be anything really, you can put your own spin on that, Um, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refresh my spirit and yours also, such men deserve recognition, the churches in the province of Asia send your greetings, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house, all the brothers and sisters here send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss, I Paul write this greeting in my own hand, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Names are my least favourite part of Bible verses. Uh, I think people who grew up in Glasgow were not designed to read Latin, Hebrew or Greek. Uh, So I can only apologise for that. Um, When we look at this passage, um, we can see some really clear challenges come out of it. Um, It's like Paul rounding things up and he's saying like, guys, I've spoke to you about a few different things, but in the end, here are some things that I really want you to focus on because I'm not going to be with you for a while. So this is the important stuff. Please Take note and do what I'm saying here. And he kind of rounds it up in a nice fashion. It's all about taking responsibility. It's all about taking the initiative for the Corinthians not to sit about and wait for someone to do something for their church. But for them to take hold of their own lives, um, of the lives of the people around them and for their church. And to really wrestle with it and take it to God. Um, And the first thing that he challenges uh, the Corinthians to take responsibility for here is take responsibility for the poor take responsibility for the poor. It would have been quite easy um, for the church in Corinth. It was a relatively new church. Um, They hadn't been going for long. um, Everything was quite fresh. And it would have been really easy for them just to say, you know what, we're a new church. We've got teething problems. We've got a whole bunch of stuff that we want to sort out for ourselves. So we're just going to focus on what we're doing. And we're going to make our church awesome. Uh, And then once we're in a perfect place where our church is perfect, uh, then we'll start to think about the poor and other people around us who could maybe benefit from us as a church. It would have been really easy for them to settle in that pattern. But Paul says to them, like, no, like, from the very word go as a church, you need to have your eyes off of yourselves. Perfect. We're back great. Um, He's talking about the Corinthian church's effort to support the church in Jerusalem because at that time that founding church in Jerusalem, you know the one that had come out of Jesus being there at the first time, were experiencing a really hard time post Jesus. Firstly they had a whole bunch of widows who were dependent on them as a church to look after them, to feed them, to give them money, to take care of them. But also at that time there was a famine going on around about that area and so there wasn't tons of food around, there wasn't um, bountiful feasts and all that stuff going on in the church. It was a really tough time and Paul's challenge for them was to say don't just see this as an option you know don't just think about um, giving to the poor as something that you might do if you've got a wee bit extra money and don't see it as oh I've got a bit of spare change in my pocket today I'm going to go and give it he's saying take responsibility for your poor people because they are part of this church they are sons and daughters with Jesus just as much as you are and it's your responsibility to look after them nobody else's it 's your responsibility, and when he 's talking about looking after the poor, um, he kind of breaks it down into three sort of separate instructions um, and the first is this: uh, take um, think about the poor first, prioritize the poor people. you know prioritize setting your money aside as a first thought and not an afterthought isn't that a fascinating concept that before we spend our money. We have to set aside what we want to give to be generous to those who are not as fortunate as us. That is the principle that Paul is trying to nail home here. It's not to be what have I got left in my account after I've bought everything that I want. But it's to be this is what I want to give as a first priority. Um, As most of you know, I've just recently um, become a dad. I've had a little girl. um, And stepping into the exciting journey of parenthood uh, has been uh, phenomenal. Uh, Evelyn started smiling this week, so that's made the last six weeks of torture worth uh, everything. Um, Although it appears she only smiles at inappropriate rap songs, which is not so good. Um, We're going to have to try and teach her another way of doing that. Um, But it's been great, and there's been loads of uh, things that I've learned, and I've had to take a lot of responsibility, and I've had to learn a lot of things. And one thing that I've had to learn is that in order... um, um, uh, for me to be effective as a parent, I have to put Evelyn first and I have to put Sarah first. Um, one of the habits uh, that Evelyn has picked up is that she wakes up at 3.30 in the morning, every single morning, and is absolutely certain that it's daytime at that point and will not go back to sleep until 6 in the morning. She just, it doesn't matter what we do, how well we rock her, what music we play, how much hair dryer we play in the background, she will only stay awake until 6 a.m. And so for me, to be a good parent in that time, I have to prioritise um, being a good parent over my own wants. My default is to stay up until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, watching TV or watching a movie or playing the PlayStation or doing something like that. That's how I relax. But if I do that, I know that when 3.30 in the morning comes, I am like Hulk Dad. I like pick her up and I'm smashing around the house and knocking things over and I'm really upset about being up and I'm just annoyed and frustrated. However, if I choose to put aside my own wants uh, to stay up and watch a movie and go to my bed at ten at half three in the morning. I've had five and a half hours sleep. I'm like fresh. I'm giving it all the like oh you're so beautiful. Like this is totally fine that you're up at this time. Like it's actually really lovely. Like we get to spend time together. I'm like two different people but I have to choose to prioritize putting my own stuff aside so that I can be the best dad and the best husband that I can be at three thirty in the morning when nobody wants to be a good dad and a good husband. And that's exactly what Paul's challenging the church in Corinth about here. He wants them to lay aside um, what they're going to give to the poor as a priority at the start of the week so that they're not getting the dregs of what's left. You know, if Evelyn got the dregs of me as a dad, she would not uh, be getting a very good dad at all. And that's what he's saying to the people in Corinth. If people who are desperately in need of your help get the dregs of whatever's left, that's not enough. It's not good enough it's never going to be enough to make sure that everyone's looked after and taken care of and provided for. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, it says this, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. He who is generous to the needy honors him. We literally bring honor to the Father when we choose to go uh, above and beyond for the poor. Like, it brings honor upon him in the eyes of the world when we choose to go uh, out to the poor and make it a priority to set aside what is needed to do everything that we can to take them out of the circumstances that they find themselves in. You know, when we choose to follow Jesus, what we choose to do is embrace the DNA of a servant king. When we choose to step in line behind Jesus, we choose to embrace the fact that we are following a king who didn't want to be worshipped, but who wanted to serve You know, Jesus came so that he could bow before the poorest, so that they could use him as a step ladder out of the mud and out of the dirt and out of the rubbish and back into a place of honour. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to go lower so that people can step on us and get out of the situations that they're in. But it's got to be a priority. On the first day of every week is what Paul said. Secondly, um, about about, uh, taking responsibility for the poor, Paul makes it clear that it's for everyone who's called to give, not just a few of us. It says that in verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you, not some of you, not a few of you, not most of you, but each one of you has a responsibility from helping the poor. And I guess what he was trying to do here um, was puncture that thought that can sometimes creep into our thinking that it's someone else's problem. You know, when we see a need, when we see uh, someone who desperately needs help, when we see someone who uh, just needs someone to get alongside them and work with them for a bit and put in the hard graph to make sure that the situation changes, it can be really easy to take a look at that and just think, There's got to be someone more qualified to do that. You know, maybe someone who's got a bit more money than me could buy that for them. Or maybe someone who's been uh, trained at helping someone find a job can do that. That's not that's not my issue, you know. Somebody else can do that. And like Paul is saying here, like, if that is what you think, let's put a needle in that and burst that balloon just now because this is for everyone. Each one of you. Each one of you is called see, the church doesn't work the way it's supposed to if only one or two or three people in the whole church make it a priority to serve the poor and the needy. It doesn't work the way Jesus intended it to. The way he intended was the church as a body making a difference in this world, changing situations, getting alongside people, not being afraid um, to enter into the darkness to bring the light. And so it's each one of us, that was the second thing they said, everyone is to be a part of it. And then the third principle we can learn um, from helping the poor that Paul shows us here, and I think this is quite a big one, is that you don't need to see the result to give the blessing. You don't need to see the result to give the blessing. It can be really easy to give, not based on what is needed, but based on what we need can't it? You know, when we give something away, it's really nice uh, when we give money away to think, oh, that's really nice. You know, I've just, I've bought a cup of coffee for that person. I can see that they've got a bit of warmth from it. I can see that that's made a difference. So that's great. I'll do that. Or when we give some money that we can see the results. When we like to see that we've got results don't we because it gives us like a warm fuzzy feeling inside it's nice it hits a wee sort of tick box for us you know I've done my bit this week I've seen it happen um, and that's fine I can tick it off but what Paul was saying here to the church in Corinth is you don't need to see the results to give the blessing he says that in verse three when I arrive I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and you can send them with your gift to Jerusalem You see, the Corinthian church were saving up a whole load of money and then they were going to send it off and they were never going to see who benefited from it. They were never going to see what was purchased with that money. They were never going to see who was helped and what situations changed. But they were still called to give. Um, I, one year, I got very up on my high horse about not uh, being a luxurious person um, and not doing things. Uh, But what, in effect, happened was that it didn't really affect me. It affected my parents because I got them all Oxfam Christmas presents. Um, And this was before Oxfam Christmas presents were really like a big thing. They'd only just started doing it. So my little brother uh, opened up a donkey on Christmas Day uh, and was very confused about the whole thing. Um, He was determined that he was going to get to meet the donkey at some point. Like He wanted to be part of the donkey experience. Uh, some village in Africa were getting a donkey on his behalf that would help them like plough fields or something like that. I don't know. Um, but he was like, what did I get from it? Like, Do I get to see the donkey? Does it come for holidays with me? Do I get to go and visit the donkey? Like, when did I get to meet the donkey? And I was like, well, you don't. Like, it's got nothing to do with you. The village uh, that that gets the donkey are getting the benefit. But he just he just didn't really get it. Like he was determined that he would meet this donkey at some point. And I'm pretty sure he's maybe still not given up on that that hope of one day meeting Steve the donkey, um, who who was an Oxfam gift to him. Um, But the thing is. Paul is saying here, you don't have to see the reward to give the blessing. You know, only a few people in that church in Corinth actually got to go to Jerusalem and see the impact. You know, see the money given to the widows who really needed it. And seen food purchased and brought in and amongst the famine. Only two or three of them would have saw that. But they were still all called to give. It's not about us, it's not about how great giving or or serving makes us feel, but it's about the benefit and the blessing that comes um, from what we are able to give. Um, Matthew chapter 25 verse 37, um, this is Jesus talking. He's talking about at the end when we stand before God. Um, And he says this, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, when we bless uh, the people who need it most, the people who are struggling the most, it's as if we've knelt down before God himself and said, take this, God, this is for you. We honour God in how we give, but we've got to take responsibility of the poor. It's not waiting for someone else to do it, but we have to take responsibility. So we're taking responsibility of the poor. The second thing that Paul um, challenges the Corinthians in this passage to take responsibility for is their own spiritual health and their own walks as Christians. Um, A lot of people who would have found their way into this Corinthian church would have been brand new to Christianity. It was a a pretty new movement. People had known um, about the sort of uh, Jewish cultures and traditions. But this whole um, idea that Jesus had come and given his life and died so that people could be set free and saved and walk into eternal life was new. And so this new church that had arisen would have had a bunch of people who would have found their way into it who were like, yeah, we love this stuff, but we have no clue how it works. We have no clue what are we supposed to do. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so Paul is giving them a bit of a challenge here to take responsibility for their own spiritual walks to be in it. So to make sure that that Corinthian church was in as good a shape as possible for being the light of the world that they were called to be. And in verse 13, it says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong, do everything in love. And I, I like those. Because they're like commands given out by an army general, aren't they? Preparing the troops for battle. You know, be on guard. What he's saying there is watch for danger. Know the land around about you. Know what you're dealing with. So when challenges come, you're not taken by surprise. It doesn't catch you off guard. You're not uh, totally taken out of the game by accident. You're ready for whatever's coming. Be on guard. Secondly, stand firm. You know, when the first challenges come, don't run away. Don't give up. Don't just set it all down because things get hard. He wants them to know that life as a Christian is going to be hard for them, you know? And he knows that more than most. He was a persecutor of Christians, but then he became a persecuted Christian himself. He knew both sides of that story. He knew it was going to be hard. So he says stand firm. Don't run from troubles and dangers, but face them head on. Thirdly, be brave. Don't be afraid to take part in the battle. You know, sometimes we have to battle for our faith. Sometimes things come and challenge the faith that we have. And it's okay to to battle for our faith, to stand firm and fight. And then the last thing was be strong. You know, when the battle arrives on the doorstep, use all the strength that you have so you're not overcome by the enemy. Use everything that you have to make sure that you don't go down. And what Paul's doing here is basically like trying to give the the idiot's guide to not falling away from faith for these new Corinthian Christians. They're like the kind of behaviors that will keep them on track throughout their whole lives. And keep them following Jesus even when it would be really easy to pull away and to give up. And to sit down and just say, you know what, this was easier when I wasn't a Christian. You know, I'm going to go back to what I was doing before because this is tough. And he's saying, stick at it. Keep going. Fight for this because it's worth it. When I was younger, uh, my friends and I we used to absolutely love cycling, and we used to absolutely love uh, challenging each other to do stunts. Was anyone else like well into like their BMX stunts and stuff like that when they were younger? Um, So we used to love that. Like we would we would we would go big on it, and we used to uh, campaign for a skate park to get opened up so that we could like have some BMX ramps and stuff like that. Um, And nobody would ever listen to us. We told our teacher. I don't know who you go to when you're eleven. Basically, our teacher got the brunt of our campaign, uh, and she was having none of it. So instead of just giving up uh, and sitting down and being like, oh, no, this is never going to happen, we took things into our own hands and we decided we'd build our own ramp. Um, It looked something akin to this uh, by the time that we finished we basically gathered up a whole load of spare wood from around our community uh, then my mate stole a hammer and nails from his dad and we just hammered and nailed a whole bunch of wood together uh, in a vaguely ramp shape and then uh, we did as all good businessmen do to determine who got the first jump we played a game of Ini Mini mini Mo of which I was the victor uh, and got the first jump on the ramp and I was absolutely desperate like I didn't want to be cautious I didn't want the first jump to be a rubbish jump on the ramp so I was like I am going for this so like I cycled towards this ramp at full speed ahead I couldn't have cycled faster if I tried and the moment my wheel hit the ramp the whole thing just collapsed underneath my bike and I hit a bit of wood and went flying over my handlebars uh, and and just ended up with a load of cuts and bruises the point being we didn't sit around and wait for someone else to build a skate park for us we just said you know what we're going to do this Like I want this Like I really want to be able to jump uh, my my BMX off of a ramp and so I'm going to build one myself And that's what Paul is challenging the Corinthians to do here. He's saying, don't wait for someone else to come and bolster your faith for you. You have everything you need to take hold of your spiritual health and do it well. Because the temptation would have been to wait for the next preacher to turn up and say, you know what, this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to give you a whole load of good teaching, and then uh, you can soak that up for a wee while, and, and then you live off that for a bit, and you pick away at it, you chew over it a little bit, and then you run out a couple of weeks' time, you're like, oh, like, I can't even remember what that guy said anymore. Was it? Did he tell me to pray? Was it to work? What was he supposed to be doing? And so you wait until someone else turns up with a big spoon of Christian stuff and says, here you go, here's some more, have this. And then you chew over that for a little while. And he was saying, please do not be a church that does that. Please don't wait for someone else to take care of your faith for you. Take responsibility for your own spiritual health and be determined in it. Take responsibility for your own spiritual health. See, we live in a world today, don't we, where there's so many things that would look to distract us from intimacy with Jesus. You know, there's the television that so often sits on for hours on end as we just stare numbly at it, waiting for something to happen. There's work, you know. We work, we're supposed to work 37 hours a week, but I would imagine that very few of us actually work 37 hours a week because there's always something else to do. There's always another deadline that has to be met or a box that has to be ticked. And even church, you know, some of us serve to the point in church where we serve too much. And in and, and serving in church, we lose the intimacy that we have with Jesus because we're not spending time with him alone. And Paul's just like, get to know Jesus. Spend time with him every day. Involve him in everything that you're doing. Go out in the morning. Go out with Jesus. When you pick up a book, pick up the Bible and get to know Jesus. When you're singing, sing songs of worship to God. Know Him intimately. Take responsibility for your own faith journey. Take responsibility for your own spiritual health. You know, Paul knew more than anyone what an intimate relationship with Jesus looks like. You know, he'd been uh, the biggest persecutor of Christians in that part of the world. And God had come down personally and met him on the road to Damascus. He didn't just leave him where he was. He came down he met him and he was like, Paul, what are you doing? Like, come and get to know me and like, see how your world will change. And it did. And because of that personal interaction that Paul had with God, he, he is determined to let everyone know that that's something available for everyone. That wasn't just a thing for him. That God wants to know us all intimately. He's the kind of God who drags uh, people back from the darkness into light. And, he's, and Paul's just like, don't crumble when it gets hard. But pursue God even more. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 it says put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then again in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 9 it says but resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. To stand firm we've got to know who we're standing on don't we? We've got to know that we're standing on the rock. It's the only way we can stand firm. And so we have to pursue intimacy with Jesus as our first point of call. And then everything else flows out of there. So we're taking responsibility for our own spiritual health. And then the third thing um, that Paul challenges us to take responsibility for is loving well. Take responsibility for loving well. He kind of backs away from this fighting army talk one moment and then brings us back to love. And love's been kind of a thread that's trailed its way through this whole book. There's mentions of it in every chapter where he talks about how we love demonstrates how God loves us and how we love each other is like a symbol of Christ and his love for the church. And he talks about love a lot. And he, of course, that's how he ends this chapter. He brings it all back to love. Um, I don't know if you've ever bought an item of clothing. That you've loved, it's been like your favourite item of clothing. You know, you get a pair of jeans and they're just like they're perfect, like, and you don't ever want to wear any other pair of jeans. So much so that you would wash the pair of jeans one night and have them on the radiator so that you can wear them the next day again. Have you ever had an item of clothing like that that you just you just absolutely love? Um, but inevitably, what happens in the end is that something starts coming away on it, doesn't it? There's always a wee uh, a wee bit of thread that just comes away, and you see it at the start, and you're not overly concerned about it. You're frustrated because it's your favourite item of clothing, but you're like this is okay but then as time goes on the thread comes away a little bit more and a little bit more and then a little tear starts to appear and then as you continue to wear them the tear becomes a bigger gash until you cannot wear them anymore, they stop being your favourite item of clothing and then it ends up on the scrap heap doesn't it, you never wear it again after that, it's gone it's gone to the clothing scrap heap in the sky I don't know, (laughs) recycling point is that what you would call it, the bin um and you, and you just, it's ruined, isn't it? As soon as the stitching starts to come away, as soon as it comes out, it's ruined. And that's what Paul's saying about the church and about love. Love is like the stitching that holds the church together. It's that thread that weaves its way through everything the church does and keeps the whole thing tight and together and working and functioning as it should. And the moment that love goes, the moment that love starts coming out of the church, it's like those little stitches start to just come away and come away until there's holes and gaps and things fall apart and the church doesn't work the way it's supposed to anymore. Verse 14, he says, do everything in love. And then he goes on to mention a bunch of folk, doesn't he? He talks about Stephanus, um, who was one of the first converts in Achaia. Um, and he says, like, I urge you to submit to those guys because they're great guys. And then he talks about um, Aquilus, uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquilus. Uh, and he sent it about those guys as well. He's like, I love those guys. Like, they're so good. Like, you really need to listen to them. Like, they've been amazing. Like, he really bigs these people up. And Paul wants to make it absolutely certain that uh, he leaves the church in Corinth and no doubt that love is absolutely crucial. That's why he mentions these guys. They're not random guys that they're mentioning, but... um uh, the first guy, Stephanus, was very likely not a supporter of Paul. Um, in verse 16, when he says that I urge you to submit to them, that would have been a pointless phrase for him to make. He would have just been as well saying, you should submit to me. Like, just listen to what I'm saying. And like him writing a letter saying, you know, I'm the king. Just listen to my instructions. But that wasn't what he was saying. The commentators kind of agree that Stephanus was likely to be not a supporter of Paul. And so he, by by saying that, you know, he got on with him and telling people to submit to him, what he was saying there was like, I love him, even though I don't agree with him on everything. Like, he's still a great guy and you should listen to him because he's pursuing God. And then with uh, Priscilla and Aquilus, they were like uh, new Jewish Christians. And um, so they would have held different views from Paul again. There would have been things that they weren't certain about. And he was saying again about them, like, I've spent some time with these guys, and they're good guys. You know, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but they are really quality guys. And I really urge you to listen to them and hear what they've got to say. And he's very um, intentional about saying, I love these people, and I love these people. I love the church. I love the church in Corinth, and I want you guys to succeed. Because he knows that love is the thing that binds it all together. He wants them to see love in action, not just chat about love, but actually where the the flesh of love meets the bones of the everyday church. You see, he he talks about the other churches nearby sending their blessings as well, doesn't he? The church uh, of the Galatians and the church in Ephesus that he's currently at. And he's showing them, like, you guys are part of a bigger thing than just what's going on in the room that you're meeting in. Saying, like, you're part of this great tapestry of growing Christian believers that's going on around the world. But the crucial thing that that makes this continue to grow, that makes people see God's love for them and amongst it all, is if the church loves each other and we love each other and we make love a priority. And it's quite a big challenge, isn't it? Like when we demonstrate God's love for the world in the way that we love one another. That means when we come together on a Sunday morning and we hang out as a family, there's a chance that people will get a glimpse of God's love by watching what we do. It's a bit scary that, isn't it? Because sometimes I'm not up for loving people on a Sunday morning. Sometimes I'm really tired and I would just much prefer to be frustrated and grumpy and just choose to sit at the back on my own. But Paul's saying choose to put on love. Even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when the last thing you want to do is love the people around about you, he's saying you have to do it because that is how people see God's love for the world. The church is the vehicle for showing God's love to the world. No pressure, guys, no pressure. But when the world sees the church in action, loving the way it's supposed to, it is an incredible testament to who God is. I can vouch for this personally. Recently, uh, we had some time off when we were having Evelyn, and we had uh, weeks and weeks where people showed up at our door consistently uh, with food For us, when we just couldn't cook, with presents uh, for Evelyn, with uh, just a warm smile and some chat that wasn't baby chat. Um, When you have a new baby, all your chat is about a new baby. You have no idea how much you will chat about baby stuff. Like, other things just don't seem to exist. People would come to our door and just talk to us and tell us what was going on in the outside world. People would come um, to our house and just take her for 20 minutes when we'd had no sleep, just rocking her for a bit so we could go off and have a nap. Like People loved us really well. And I don't think I realized what that actually meant until we hung out um, with a few friends that we made recently who also have a new baby who are not part of the church. And when we told them about some of the stuff that you guys had done for us as a couple when we had that baby, they were completely blown away. That is an alien concept. That kind of level of love is not something that exists readily in our world. It just doesn't. Even around the event of a new baby, um, there's nothing that mirrors the kind of love that the church shows when it's working well. And they were completely blown away with that. And I'm absolutely certain they're away thinking that over and wondering what on earth that is all about. And probably regretting the fact that they weren't part of a church before they had their baby, I think, more than anything else. As a church, love is the thing that stitches it all together. Our love for God, our love for one another, and our love for the church is what keeps this whole thing working. We have to choose to love one another, choose to love God, and to love his beautiful bride, the church. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and 14, it's, uh, 12 to 14, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We need to take responsibility for love and will. It's a choice that we can put on. It's not something that always comes naturally, but we choose to put on love like a big overcoat over everything else that we do. We choose love. Why don't we stand together?